Church, would you take your Bibles now and open them to the book of Matthew chapter 26 as we look at verses 20 and following. Here from this gospel, we see that Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and they are celebrating what we call the Passover. And of course, you remember the Passover being commanded by God to Moses and to his people as they made their exodus out of Egypt. This was to be an observance that they practice every year as a way to remember God's deliverance of his people from Egyptian bondage. And Jesus now is, is with his disciples in the upper room. They are celebrating the Passover meal. And it's there that he takes this meal and he inaugurates the Lord's Supper. He begins, the focus now is turning from the Passover, the land that pointed to Jesus, to Jesus himself. And that's what we do tonight as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus was the Passover lamb. He's the one who paid the sin debt for us. And by coming together tonight on this occasion, observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we remember what he has done for us. It's a wonderful time in the life of our church because it's an opportunity for us to be cleansed before the Lord, to make sure we're clean, that there's nothing that would hinder us. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to refocus our attention, reprioritize our lives. It also gives us an opportunity to say thank you to the Lord for what he's done for us in a fresh new way. So periodically, we need to observe the Lord's Supper as our Lord and Savior Jesus commanded. What I want us to do tonight in preparation is to look at this passage of Scripture beginning in verse 20 and see some of the things that were included in the Supper of the Lord, some of the things that were felt and the, the elements that were used, and some of the things that were part of this occasion. The first thing I want to see is that there was sorrow at the supper. There was sorrow at the supper. Verse 20 talks about this. Look in verse 20. Now, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples, and they were eating. He said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Jesus here speaks about how his own disciples would play a part in the pain that he experienced and that they would forsake him. And we know that one in particular, as he speaks about here, Judas, would betray him to those that were prearranged to come to Jesus, arrest him, and ultimately try him and put him to death. This had to be a heavy burden for Jesus as he had spent three years with these men, pouring, literally pouring his life into them discipling them, teaching them, ministering with them, showing them things about the Lord's work and the Lord's will that they would never have known apart from his power and presence in their lives. And now knowing that he's going to the cross and in the, in the hour he needs them to most, the most, they will not be there. This had to be a heavy burden for Jesus, great sorrow. And also here we see in verse 22, 
being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. The, the disciples felt some grief here as well, thinking that they possibly could betray Jesus, that one from among them would participate in such a, an outrageous act of betrayal was hard for them to swallow, but it was true nonetheless. And so Jesus speaks about this. I think about the prophet Isaiah and what he foretold over in Isaiah chapter 53. This passage was written around 700 years before Jesus came. And we read in verse 3, that uh, speaking of the Messiah, that he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid or hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus felt the pain and the suffering from an emotional standpoint, not just from the physical crucifixion, but from an emotional standpoint. Jesus felt the betrayal deeply. It was a painful experience. So the cross was a, was a hard emotional pain that Jesus bore. But we also, when we look at this passage, we see the symbols, the symbols of the supper. Look at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, what Jesus does with this bread, this unleavened bread. There was no leaven in it. Uh, the leaven was a symbol of sin, of spoilage. So this was a, a piece of bread that was pure in that sense because it represented the body of Jesus. And he took this bread, he broke the bread, and he distributed it to the disciples. And as I read a moment ago, he said, take, eat, this is my body. He meant that this bread represents my body that will be broken. His body would be abused. We know the Bible tells us in numerous places, and certainly in Matthew chapter 27, about the abuse that he bore for us. Having gone through six trials before the crucifixion, Jesus was also beaten with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. Many never made it to the cross. They were disemboweled through the beating. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head. And they led him away to crucify him. He bore the cross beam on the way to Golgotha. Fell beneath the weight of the cross. Having lost all that blood. And having been up all night through trials. Which by the way, just a little bit of information for you. The trials at night were forbidden they were against the law but yet Jesus was tried at night oh they wanted to kill him they wanted to be rid of Jesus so Jesus now falling beneath the weight of the cross a man of Cyrene Simon by name they compelled him to bear the cross the rest of the way and uh, Jesus and the crowd the soldiers some women there surrounding Jesus who were followers 
they stood there on Golgotha's hill and they watched Jesus be nailed to that cross and hung between two thieves. And for six hours he would writhe in pain, bearing the sin of the world. For three hours that started at nine in the morning, the sun was shining. But then at 12 noon, at midpoint, the skies grew dark. It's as if God turned the lights out of heaven. And the great transaction occurred. We gave our sins and Jesus gave us forgiveness. He bore our guilt, our shame, our sin. The judgment, the righteous, holy anger of God the Father was poured out and focused on the Son. And at that moment, Jesus died. He died for me. For the sins that I have committed. The sins that I will commit. And Jesus died for you. Had that not happened, we would be in our sin today. We would be separated from God. We would not have a relationship with him. We would not have hope of eternal life. We would not have the promise of heaven. But what Jesus did for us paved the way for us to have a relationship with God, the Creator. He has given us hope now. We have peace in our lives. We have joy unspeakable, even in the midst of conflict and trial because of what Jesus has done for us. And that bread was symbolic of the body of Jesus. Now, there are some who wrongly say that this bread transforms into the literal body of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. They believe that the the bread actually turns into the physical flesh of Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches here. This is a symbol of the body of Jesus. Not the actual body of Jesus. This, this whole supper was symbolic. The Passover meal was symbolic of what happened in Egypt. And now the Lord's Supper would be symbolic of what happened at the cross as the Passover lamb paid the penalty for our sins. But it's not the actual flesh of Jesus. It's symbolic. So one of the elements, one of the two elements in the supper was bread. Then we see the second element as we read in verse 27. And when he was taken, had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my kingdom. My father's kingdom. Here the, the Bible refers to this juice as the cup. It's symbolic of the blood of Christ. By the way, the word for wine does not appear in the New Testament regarding the blood of Jesus, symbolizing the blood. And I, I believe the reason that is true is because uh, to a good measure, wine had at least a, an element of fermentation in it. Much of the wine did. They would often mix water with the wine to dilute it, to prevent intoxication. 
They did it because of the scarcity of water and the pollution of much of the water in order to provide some purification of it. But fermentation is essentially rotten grape juice. It is a decaying process that has occurred similar to what you would refer to with leaven being in in the bread. And I believe the reason that the word itself is not used here is because I believe personally that this was juice that was considered what the Bible sometimes refers to as new wine, freshly squeezed wine, to represent the purity of the blood of Jesus, just as the bread without leaven represented the body, the pure holy body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, Jesus takes his cup and and he, he speaks about it being my blood, the blood of the covenant. What you need to understand, dear Christian friend, dear, dear New Testament saint, is that you and I have a covenant with God. Those of us who have by faith trusted Jesus Christ, we have a covenant with God. It is a covenant that has been purchased through the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not Old Testament believers. Now, the Old Testament is important to us because it informs our theology. It it teaches us some things about God that we need to know. And it's important to understand the Old Testament so that we'll have a greater understanding of the New Testament and a greater appreciation for it. But we're not Old Testament believers. We don't live according to the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant law. The law of Moses. Now certainly there are some some commands in the Old Testament that are universal commands. For example, thou shalt not kill is a universal command that is stated in both the Old and New Testaments. But we have a new covenant that is superior to the Old Covenant. It's a covenant that has been provided through the very blood of Jesus. Jesus sealed it with his blood. Tonight, when we partake of this supper, we are celebrating the new covenant that we have through the blood of Christ Jesus. And although we, we solemnly take this supper and reverently, and this is a serious matter, we do so with joy in our hearts because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. We do it with rejoicing. Because of the tremendous covenant relationship we have with God the Father. Through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he speaks about the blood of the covenant. And by the way, uh, just as the the bread was not the literal blood or, or the literal body of Jesus. So too, it is true that the juice is not and is not transformed into the literal blood of Jesus as some would say. Again, that is not biblical. That is not at all what Jesus is saying here. This is symbolic of his life being poured out. And and this cup that they're drinking, this juice is representative of the blood of Jesus that would pour out representing his life for us. So these are the elements. These are the symbols that we will see tonight as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, Some would say, well, who was to partake of the supper? Well, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. These are people who have publicly declared their faith in the Lord Jesus. 
Although one was certainly a demon from the beginning, his name was Judas. He was not an authentic believer. He was deceived at the very least. He was not a true follower of Christ. He was among the disciples, but was not a true, genuine follower. And for those of us who are gathered here tonight, we claim to be believers. Now, it could be there's someone is here tonight and you don't claim to be a Christian. First of all, we want to say we're so glad you're with us tonight. You're always welcome here. We're glad you've come. And tonight, this supper, I believe, was instituted in part so that it would be a visual aid for those who do not know Christ. Because it's the gospel on display. It's a message for you to see that Jesus, just as he paid the penalty for our sins, he too has paid the penalty for your sins. If you will by faith trust him, you too can be saved. But the supper is to be celebrated by those of us who have trusted the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior and we followed him through believer's baptism, which is the first act of obedience for the Christian. And before we partake of the supper, as we will in just a moment, it's important that we examine ourselves to make sure we're where we need to be spiritually. We find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, that there is a very sobering warning there, written by the Apostle Paul, writing under the direction of the Holy Spirit, saying that we should be very cautious as we approach the table of the Lord, that we, we should not do it in a perfunctory way. We should not do it in, in a way that uh, is, is without reverence. We should first examine ourselves to make sure that we are spiritually ready to participate in the supper. And if not, then we need to confess all of our sins specifically with the Lord and make sure that we're right with him before we partake of the supper. If not, we invite God to discipline us. And in that context, Paul said some have died and some are sickly because they have lived a life that is not representative of of what this table is all about. And they've come to the table without seriously considering the, the meaning of this moment. And so tonight we want to do that and will in just a moment. But, but these are symbols that are very important. Symbols are powerful. Because of the meaning they convey. And that is true tonight. Then we also see that there was singing at the supper. Look at verse 30. After singing a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives. So they sang together. You know, singing has always been a very important part of worship. It's a way to express worship to God, and that is the case here. They sang together. And think about when we sing, how important that is, because everybody blends their voices together. And and they sing in a unified fashion. And they, they use the instrument, the human instrument, that God has given to them the voice to lift up praise to God, to glorify him and to honor him. And that is the case here. They sing this hymn before they go out. Tonight we will sing a hymn after we take of the supper as well. And I hope that you will recall that very first supper a hymn was sung. And then also notice there was strength displayed at this supper. Verse 31, we see there was some trouble and then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. 
For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Here Jesus quotes from the Old Testament how that the sheep would be scattered. And certainly they were. And you can read that uh, on in this passage after the Mount of Olives. What happened after his arrest, the, the disciples scattered in fear. By the way, it's no mere coincidence that after the resurrection, their fear was turned to faith. And each of these that had fled, forsaking the Lord, laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. Even John, who was exiled on Patmos, who we believe died as an old man but suffered severe persecution, but the rest physically were killed, crucified. Like Peter, legend tells us, he was crucified and requested to be crucified upside down, feeling not to be worthy of dying in the same manner as his Lord. Paul, of course, who later became an apostle, who was not there on this night, but later became a believer, his head was cut off. He was decapitated and all the other disciples were, were killed for their faith. So their fear was transformed into faith because of the power of the resurrection. But here this is troubling to Jesus to see those who who supposed to love him the most fled from him. Look at verse 33. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, This very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. He was very confident to Peter. He felt very passionate about his relationship with the Lord. But he did not foresee what was about to take place. Satan was going to sift him. But no worry, Jesus had prayed for him and the disciples. And friend, I want you to know Satan desires to sift you as wheat as well. To trouble you, to discourage you, to defeat you. But we have an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who's making intercession intercession for us at this very moment. He's praying for us and for strength. So although there is trouble there, we also see there is triumph. Going back now to verse 32. But after all, he says, but after I have been raised I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Notice that after I have been raised. This is another occasion where Jesus speaks about his resurrection that will surely come. After I have been raised. Friend, do you realize the power of that statement? After I have been raised, raised from what? Raised from the dead. The centerpiece for the Christian faith. The cross would have been pointless without the resurrection. The resurrection was and is essential to us in our Christian faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, Paul points this out 
in great detail about the certainty and the power and the importance of the resurrection. And there is triumph even in this moment that is the darkest. The light shines the brightest without The cross, there could be no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there could be no salvation. But I'm happy to announce to you tonight that Jesus Christ is not in the grave somewhere. He has been powerfully, victoriously, eternally raised from the dead and is alive and well. And friend, he's coming again for his church. And what do we need to do tonight? We need to reflect on what he did for us and we need to thank him for what he has done so as we prepare tonight to participate in this supper what I would ask you to do is bow before the Lord would you spend some time now in prayer and just say Lord God show me any sin that is in my life so that I might confess it and when he reveals that sin to you and he will You call it what it is. Lord, it is sinful. And you name that sin. And Lord, I want to confess this to you. I agree with you that it is sin. I want to turn in repentance. I don't want to do this again. I want to walk in obedience to you, Lord. You make sure you deal with that issue. You confess that sin if if it's... Pride, jealousy, gossip, gluttony, lust, a rebellious spirit, abuse, anger without cause or with restraint. If it's a lack of Being in the word, lack of prayer in your life that leads to spiritual dryness. It's a failure to give of your tithes and offerings. If it's a failure to share the gospel, it's a failure to serve. You know, there are some things we sin by doing and then there are things we sin by not doing. Maybe it's an attitude, a negative spirit, a judgmental spirit. Whatever the Lord brings to your heart and mind, deal with it before him so that we'll have clean hands and a pure heart when we come to the table of the Lord.